So, Brad, I'm cruising around the internet the other day, and I see this social media uh, uh, profile. And you know how you do with the bio? It would be Brad Geiger, and then it would be cartoonist of Viva Link, you know, lover of life, whatever your profile is. Uh, but this person's profile, and I don't know why it caught my eye, but their profile just said, fuck Voltron. And I, now I know that they're probably just against the media property. They just don't like the media property. But for me, I read it in that moment as someone who had a personal vendetta against Voltron, the giant robot, as uh-huh. though, like, Oh, you know what? Everybody else from my town is really happy that Voltron beat uh, Glorgak, the giant lizard. But that son of a bitch, Voltron, he crushed my car. He crushed my house. So what's my victory, Voltron? What's my victory? Where do I stand in all this, Voltron? All I know is I'm living on assisted housing from the government because Voltron crushed my house. That son of a bitch can go. He can go fly a kite. That's what I did. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing about it is, is I agree that I, I actually agree with this, but not, <laughs> <laughs> but not all of Voltron, just that one guy, because in Voltron, they, they make, whether it's lions or trucks or, or spaceships, the, the whole idea of Voltron is everybody comes together to make one big robot and everybody knows their job and is very work person like about going about their job right they go arms will form the arms and torso uh arms and feet ready here's the legs and then that one guy comes in and and we everybody has worked with a guy like this right (laughs) he comes in and he's got to be and i'll form the head and it's (laughs) like you know what we're all working here jerry we're all doing our part. Yeah, you get to be the head. I don't need you to rub my face in it every freaking time we make the robot. <laughs> I love this as a bit. This yeah. is a funny bit. You know what, yeah. Jerry? You've had everything handed to you your entire life. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I should know I'm the hand. Jerry, your dad got you into college. <laughs> Jerry, your dad got you this Voltron job. You're Listen, you're a son yeah. of a bitch, Jerry. No need to rub it in our face every day. Let's just fight yeah. Gorgon and go home like every other day. I've been over here. I came into Voltron and in the mailroom. I'm over here in the left hand. The in left the hand does room. absolutely nothing. But you know what? I'm happy to be here. I'm just happy to have some place to go. I'm happy to have, uh, you know, a, a health insurance. They've got a good dental here. I'm the left hand. So big deal. I don't hold the sword. I don't throw a lot of punches. I'm the left hand. Every time we make the robot, you got to push that my nose right deep in it. And I'm tired of it. Jerry, I think I think it's time for you to be the left foot just for a little while. Let somebody else be the head. And maybe, maybe every once in a while we won't have to go through like 10 minutes of programming before finally we pull out this victory just before the show goes off the air. Yeah. Jerry, why don't you why don't you call us to form Voltron first thing? There's literally no difference in expenditure of energy, and yet we can destroy the creature in five seconds. Yeah, we know we're going to get there. We know we're going to get there eventually. You, let's just flip all the cards over, go right to the robot, go back, grab a little something at the diner, and call it a day. The overtime is killing me. I, I haven't seen my wife in weeks. You know what, Jerry? I had just finished making myself a delicious bowl of pho, and we get called out to fight Gorgon. Let's just form the robot and go home. Why, Jerry? Why do you got to make it? a long walk every time. Yeah, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, Jerry. Because you got to be the one to say, I'll form the head. Because if it comes too early, you don't feel good about yourself. You always got to be the one that feels like he's sweeping and saving everybody. <laughs> well, listen, next time, I'll form the head. You <laughs> yeah, form you know, the hand. Let's see. Can you imagine crumpet. a fight where the the, the, <laughs> the left hand is like re- trying to reformat itself into a head? It's like, no, I'm forming the head. God damn it, Jerry. Jerry, you're you've a son got, of a bitch. <laughs> you've got the arm on top of the shoulders and, and the head is over there and the shoulder socket on the left hand it side. It just looks like a kid that built the Lego thing wrong. It's just... You know what's even funnier, though, is that I was always a big fan of Vehicle Voltron, which is like 98 vehicles coming together to form Voltron. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. The, the idea for me that always cracked me up is like, there's it's like cars, trucks, boats, RVs. Someone's got like a meter made car. There's like 98 cars that are coming together to form Voltron. But the, the funny thing is, with the other one, with the five lions, there's like Greg, Bob, Susie, Little Timmy, you know, Johnny eats too much, the other one. And then... Uh, 
with the vehicle Voltron, though, it's like, all right, 78 of us are here, but we can't form Voltron because Gary's on the shitter again. God, Gary, stop going to that Mexican place. You know that it doesn't do your stomach any good. We can't form the left knee because Susan's over there double parked. <laughs> She's caught in traffic on the 58th throughway. And uh, <laughs> listen, we're just going to have to go without the left knee for a little bit. Just keep your legs straight and we'll try to fight everybody, this giant lizard. Everybody that's in the lower leg, just hang out over here. We're going to we're gonna hop into this battle and you guys stay over there. It's also, there's so many vehicles that it's like, all form the kneecap, all form the left spleen, all form the lower part of the kidney, all form the colonoscopy part. And I'll form the appendix. I'm not necessary, but I'm here. <laughs> and I'll form the head. God damn it, Jerry. <laughs> damn it. Jerry, you are in the lions. You do not get to be in the vehicles, too. You don't uh. even fit. You know, oh, and do they ever have compatibility problems? Like when you switch from USB to USB 2 or something, do, it, do they have to get like an adapter? Like one oh my of God. the lions is like a scuzzy port and they've got to get one of those adapters. Jerry comes to work drunk and the head's on backwards. They're like, damn it, Jerry, you are such a trust fund baby. Ah. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. And welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And about making a artisanal living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett, who apparently did have the piece of paper in his hand with the opening script on it when Brad did not. I'm the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, Let's talk comics. My my new favorite thing for is imagining you under your blanket doing your podcasting blanket, desperately reaching for the piece of paper, just just instant flop sweat on the bottom of your feet, going, "Oh God, I don't have the script. I don't have the script. Oh God." I, I actually remember the strip. I couldn't remember the word artisanal. <laughs> I could. I, I I got to it. I planned to do it uh, as by, by being a little smartass. And I, I I got to the word, and I'm like, oh my god, I I forgot the word. I um, I, and I could I couldn't get it for the life of That's me. Right. I'm getting old, Dave. No, you're not. You're still a spring chicken, Bradley. You're still a spring chicken. <laughs> Well, what should we talk about today? We got a lot to talk about. I have one uh, uh, that I wanted to bring up with you in light of last week's show, because um, I'm about to kickstart my next uh, Sheldon collection, right? This will be my yeah. 15th Sheldon book or 15th book in general, whatever it is. But it's also, uh, I did the math on my Kickstarters. And with this Kickstarter, regardless of what amount it is, it's going to push me up above a half million dollars on Kickstarter, which to me is Oof. quite an accomplishment. I feel like that's pretty good. You know, I mean, I know yeah. people have done more. I know people have done less. But for me, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. And I was thinking about this in light of last week's conversation about uh, saving comic book shops and in general publishing. And I was thinking to myself, what publisher could have ever brought in that amount of money for me for Sheldon? And the answer is none. No, no publisher could Not have done that for me. darned one. Nope. I... I, I'll be honest with you, had I gone into syndication or had I gone the comic book route, I would have been a, a middle to small level success, which almost reads as failure, because the money would not have been sufficient. I would have had to have a second job. Um, yep. I would have had to supplement a lot. Um, and I would have been every once in a while having to draw something that I didn't want to draw because I was working for a publisher and they wanted to change my or edit my things. And right. I... I, I just wanted to come back to this point because I feel like this is actually a golden age for cartoonists if you are willing to get rid of the old mental paradigm that going with a publisher is mean is the definition of success. Well, that's what it comes down to. And that, and and that's why artisanal has become my new Niagara Falls. <laughs> it's it's the quickest way to make my blood pressure rise is is uh, is to say the word artisanal. Uh, but, but because by defining our work as artisanal success and and the other assertion that was made was that our success doesn't scale. OK, uh, and I'd say four hundred and eighty-eight thousand uh, dollars. That doesn't even include what you make on Patreon and other no. uh, aspects. Uh, I think I, I, number one, 
I think that scaled just fine for you. And number two, uh, it, the, the other thing that you can't uh, deny is that your success doesn't need to scale any further than your part in supporting your family. You, it doesn't, you don't need to scale to the point where you're hiring a, a, a group of 12 people and you're, and you're part of a corporation and, and so, or you are the corporation. You don't need to scale any further than what you're scaling. And you've got no problem with reach. There's nobody that's saying, oh, geez, I wish I could get a Sheldon book. I can't, just can't get my hands on it. Uh, your scaling is appropriate. The problem with uh, what we heard in the last episode was that there's a, a precognition that the only kind of real success comes at the behest or the, the bequeathing of a corporate entity. Once a corporation uh, taps you, then you're a success uh, because you've got all of those familiar trappings. You're, you're in a comic shop, you're in a bookstore, even though the whole point of that conversation was comic shops and bookstores are dying. Right. Uh, it, but the fact that, and it, I guess if he was, if this person was uh, just off the street, it wouldn't bother me, but he's writing about comics and he doesn't understand a f- uh, to my view, he doesn't understand an awful lot about what's going on in comics. There's another way to look at this, and it's the old argument that we used to hear from syndicated cartoonists, which which in this context was newspaper cartoonists, which they would say, well, I look online and I don't know what the good ones are or what the bad ones are. How do I know where to find the bad ones are? And that's not the point. The point is the audience has found it. And they know that Kate Beaton is good, and they know that Inman is good. It doesn't matter if if Grandpa can't find it. It's it, in terms of, and what I'm getting at in terms of scale is, uh, the audience will find itself. It'll grow naturally. The people that are enjoying it are going to stick with it, and they will spread the word. Uh, whereas just knowing that Broomhilda is in the newspaper doesn't make Broomhilda a good comic strip. You know what I mean? It, right. It, 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 and yet it has more of a uh, imprimatur of success because it has this uh, uh, one editor somewhere, you know, hit it on each shoulder with a sword. And then a few yeah. newspaper editors around the country hit it on each uh, uh, side of the shoulder with a sword. And so we think, oh, well, that, 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 that's a comic strip that made it. Whereas in the meantime, I'd much rather be Matt Inman and have his uh, staff of 10, uh, you know, working over at Exploding Kittens than, than working on Broomhilda, being the ninth artist on Broomhilda right now, you know? So the problem with that is he's got kind of a, if I don't see it, it's not there kind of attitude. And in, in other words, as he was talking, I'm like, I, he's saying, well, you're artisanal success and you can't scale. And it's like, wait a minute. You mean you don't know about Matthew Inman? You don't know about Jeff Jacks? You don't know about Meredith Grand? You don't know about Spike Trotman? You don't know about Arstee? There's, you can go on and on and on with this list of people. Lucy Bellwood, Erica Moen, <laughs> you know, Chris Albeck. You can go through a long list of people who've been very successful. And there's nothing artisanal about their success. Success, but just because you don't know them and you haven't gone out and tried to educate yourself, it's listen. This isn't this isn't secret stuff. This is all out there. All you got to do is take an interest. <laughs> all you got to do is get a little bit curious, and you can find a whole world out there that you you ha- clearly haven't been exposed to. And you're writing. The, the problem is he's writing stories. He's a, he's a journalist, right? So if he was somebody off the street, I wouldn't care. But he's a journalist. He's writing stories about our industry, and he should he should be a little bit more careful in his research to understand what he's what he's talking about better. He's he's. I think he's a good guy. I just I don't think he's been exposed to uh, independent comics uh, as well as I would like him to be. Is that fair to say? I don't want to trash no, him. No, no. He's a nice guy. I just want him to be more open. And here's the thing that I have come to to learn and appreciate about different tiny little uh, corners of the internet is um, even if you don't appreciate them, even if you're not familiar with them, just appreciate that uh, right now, Brad, you and I, as as savvy as we are in cartooning, there's at least four dozen cartoonists that you and I have never heard of that are probably making better yes. incomes than we are online. Yeah. But you and I at least are open to the fact that they exist. They're out there. They have a huge audience. They're making money. <laughs> yeah. And we just don't happen to know about <laughs> them yet, you know? 
Right. And if they're doing things a little bit different than we're doing them, if they found a different path to that mountain, we, we are, I, I think we're pretty open-minded. I don't think we've dismissed too many people. No, in fact, here's the key difference, Brad. Here's the key difference is that you, as soon as you and I find out about somebody like this, and I've seen this happen on phones and texts and stuff, we get on the line and we're like, let's learn everything we need to learn about this person because they took a totally different path than we took. And let's, you know what I mean? It's literally is a let's steal their secrets kind of thing. It's like, what do they do different? How do they make their income? What's what's their what's their uh, uh, their monetization of this? Oh, I see what they're doing. Hey, no one's ever done it this way. Let's steal that. And it's it's yeah. a willingness to not only be open to the fact that they exist, but as soon as we find out about them, to learn every freaking thing we can about them and how they run their business. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, Dave. I, I haven't been that angry after I, my my heart was beating like like pounding in my chest. I haven't been that mad after recording a podcast since the Ted Rawl episode. And that's the one episode of Webcomics Weekly that I, I've never been able to go back and listen to. I, I, it just, my blood pressure spikes and I'm, I'm just furious. And by the way, if you'll notice, all for the same reasons. <laughs> it's, we're coming down to a theme and I, and I am ashamed of myself uh, for saying this. It comes down to a theme of re- needing to be on a certain level accepted. And the fact that after 20 years, we're still not accepted. And that was a whole theme. Uh, you know, it was like, son of a gun. We've been do. I thought after, at this point in our career, with the web being ubiquitous uh, in terms of publishing and its role that it plays in media, I, I thought that this would be something people could see. Nope, we're, we're not that much further than we were in 2001, except for this. And this is, this is why I said, so I told, I called Dave the other day and I go, Dave, I was yelling in my car. <laughs> and I said, well, that sounds like a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, that's what my kids say too. Uh, but, but this time I wasn't uh, yelling at that person to go through the green light and get off their freaking phone. Uh, this time I was, I was continuing the conversation, which by the way, for your mental health, that's probably not a great sign. That's I, I do need to let this go, <laughs> but I was, I was, I was just, yelling. And I go, listen, listen, number and it, and it goes along the same lines that Dave had. I'm in a much better position here than I would have been working for, let's say Marvel or DC or one of the syndicates, you know, whatever the comparable parallel is. And I said, what do you consider me? Maybe, maybe in the middle of the pack in web comics. All right. Maybe not the top, top, not penny arcade uh, level, not the bottom, bottom, but maybe as Garrison Keillor said, just a little bit above average. Okay. That's where I am. Now, if you take and find my doppelganger in Marvel comics, or if you find my doppelganger at the syndicate, the only difference between, and I'm yelling this in my car, the only difference between me and that guy is I can go to the dentist without launching a GoFundMe. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, listen, I'm not. Oh, God. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Listen. Oh. Uh, but, Brad and, and, Geiger and, with the kitty cat claws out. Yikes. <laughs> Lest it be misunderstood, the things I say in an empty car are not necessarily wise, nor are they well-reasoned. That's not actually accurate, right? I, and and there might come a day when you know when somebody in in web comics needs to raise a GoFundMe. That that that's a whole much more complicated issue than Brad Geiger behind the wheel of his Mazda made it out to be. However, this is true. I'm in a much better uh, place financially, and and, and in terms of uh, job security, much better place than I than somebody with my relative skills would be uh, working at, for, for a corporation. I just am. I, there, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm in a better place. Yeah. Well, my childhood dream was always to be a syndicated newspaper cartoonist. And Mine too. like you, I, as a web cartoonist, am middle of the road. I'm, I'm not breaking any uh, records in terms of like, uh, um, you know, top of the pack, like uh, Penny Arcade or Inman or any of those folks. Uh, and I'm not bottom of the tier. I'm comfortable living, but boy, am I happy. I have a work, an assistant working for me, and we're making fun comics, and I, I enjoy my career and everything like that. But had I made my childhood career, I would be in 150 papers, 200 papers, struggling yep. to make ends meet. 
I might have, the, the gods might have deigned to give me one book through Andrews McMeal and it would have sold poorly and I never would have gotten another book because it wouldn't have met the scale that they needed to. And oh. here's the thing, I wouldn't have had a great career. So I am so thankful that I didn't get syndicated in the same way that I am, I am so uh, similarly avoiding any time uh, there's a, a boom or IDW or thing that I could be working on. I was like, nope, nope, not for me. I'm going to do my own stuff. Thanks. <laughs> Well, not only that, but what would imagine what would have happened if you would have gone to Andrews McMeal, who, by the way, as, as far as I know, is all run by very nice oh, they're people. Great people. Yeah. But let's say let's say that you would have gone to them and say, hey, I've got this idea. Uh, it's not a Sheldon collection. I'm just going to take all of the comics from Sheldon that had to do with pugs and just do a book that's centered on that. I, it, could you have, do you think you could have convinced them that that was a good idea? No. Or Brad, let's say I wanted to do this. Let's say after a couple of years, I, uh, you know, after 15 years of doing Sheldon, I gotten a little tired of it. So I decided to do this <laughs> format changing thing where I would do the anatomy of animals. Right. And yeah. my editor would have been like, well, that doesn't fit in a newspaper. Go back to doing Sheldon. I've been, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll go back to the soul crushing thing. Then, then I needed a break from, uh, and then I wouldn't have been able to do that book, which I'm delighted by, you know? And so anyway, and forget about that. You wouldn't have been able to do drive. Mm -hmm. Don't forget drive. You could, you could not have built the, the, uh, audience that you built for drive under that kind of system. No, nor, no way, shape or form. Nor had I done it through comic books, which also could have conceivably had done it because I would have had right. to produce, I don't know. I always forget how many pages is it a month? I think about 22, 25, somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, so I would have had to rush the story, which would have diminished the art yep. and the writing quality. Um, I would have had to make it a taller format to fit comic books, which I don't want Drive to be. I like the square format. Yep. Um, and I would have, I, no one would have allowed me to do a monochromatic tone on tone, uh, <laughs> comic, which I like, I like it, you know, it feels unique to me. Um, and so everything that I, that is drive, would not have been allowed either in, in comic strip format or in comic book format. And so anyway, I've, what I'm getting at here is that I've long since come to peace with the fact that rather than going for an article about me in Publishers Weekly because I just got picked up by Boom, or rather than winning an Eisner because I'm in a lot of comic book shops so they all know to vote for it, uh, yeah. I have come to peace with the fact that I would much rather make a comfortable living and do what I want to do, and I'm amazed when anyone wants to fight that as a proposition that the other way is better, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that the other way involves a, a, go, a, getting your stuff into comic shops, which are going out of business. Right, right. I'm, Brad, I don't, I'm waving a ticket to the Titanic at you. I don't know why you're not taking my ticket. <laughs> You'll never be a success until you get your stuff into comic shops, Brad, but they're going out of Brad, business. Brad, as a violinist, I want your quartet on the deck of the Titanic. <laughs> you're never going to make it as a violinist and let you get on the deck of the Titanic. Why can't you see the happy outcome that this is going to end up? up as for you, Brad. <laughs> Luckily, I'm very good at rearranging deck chairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that that's enough of, I, I just wanted to bring that up because that number really jumped out at me today that it was going to, this next uh, Kickstarter is going to put it over a half million. So I, I thank you for letting me walk Ooh. down that road because it was, wow. <sighs> it was kind of a palate cleanser from last week that I wanted to go through. No, I needed to get that off my chest too. And now maybe the ride home tonight will be a little bit quieter. <laughs> All right. Well, let me move on to a question for for you, Brad. And this comes in uh, from our patron, uh, Larson. So, Brad and Dave, what is your take on the Patreon practice where the digital rewards of one or more tiers is exclusively emailed directly to patrons on the months that they are patrons and previous months content is then made available on Gumroad sometimes for a few bucks more that Brad, let's talk about this. What do you think about that idea? Uh, I like it so much. I've been doing it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's the equivalent of I like it so much. I bought the company. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I do. I, I should, I should rephrase that. I do a very similar thing uh, with the, uh, with the collections of the evil link, the, uh, the public version of evil link with the, and as well with the not safe for work sketchbooks. And uh, well, yeah, the, the evil link after dark book is, collected uh digitally and, and available on places like gum road and and drive through comics so uh yeah i think it's a good idea i it, basically what you're doing in my mind is you're assigning value the thing that that is that's hardest to communicate to people especially with digital goods is that the value is what you give it, it it's important to understand oh boy that's a great value. way to say that yeah 
Yeah, yeah. In other words, to you and me, it's a PDF, right? <laughs> and it's not very important because it took you five seconds to click a button and make that PDF. We're much more interested in in the uh, you know three hours it took to make the page, uh, but that PDF we don't assign that mental value, and we have to assign it a perceived value. So, like a sketchbook that I might offer digitally is four dollars and ninety nine cents. Now. That's perceived value, and you can offer it on Gumroad for $4.99, and if you offer it to your Patreon backers, you are offering them something for, let's say they're a $5 backer. You're offering something that they get above and beyond uh, for their Patreon patronage that's worth $5. They just made their money back. Right. 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 You're, you're assigning all kinds of perceived value and you can do it in the reverse, too. You can offer it on Patreon first and then put it out through Gumroad. And again, as long as that Patreon backer gets a little nudge, like our like uh, Larson said, it's, it's a little bit better price. Or, or, you know, they're getting it for free on Patreon and it's a little bit more if they get it through Gumroad or uh, drive through comics. Um, that's that's perceived value. Even though you and I both know it's just a PDF, right? <laughs> right. What the, you know, not having unlike Brad, I did not have this idea separately, and I to, this idea is coming new to me today, and I'm intrigued by it. And one of the reasons why I'm intrigued by it is it it quietly reinforces for the patron that in this moment they are being a savvy consumer. You know what I mean, Brad? Yes. So you yes, are. I'm being smart. You are patting them on the back and going, "You're doing the right thing, champ." You are doing the right yeah. thing, but you are also creating the conditions whereby they are uh, feeling like sa- being a savvy consumer. So to Brad's point, uh, you're assigning the value and you're assigning it in such a way that makes everyone feel better about themselves being a patron. So I think this is a very yep. wise idea. And there's one last part of this whole puzzle to put together, and that is when you put that uh, retail PDF together, like you're putting it out on uh, Gumroad or drive Uh what's the first page say? It says, this is a compilation of all kinds of stuff that I created at patreon.com slash Geiger. And now somebody who hasn't discovered your Patreon, but does uh, discover this book, picks up the book, they see all the content. If it's exclusive content that was previously only on Patreon, now you've given that person a reason to become a Patreon backer and get the rest of the stuff they may have missed. Yeah, uh, this is this is a version of what uh, I also do, Brad, just to remind folks with Kickstarters, which is that yep. um, you also get that first opportunity to get a certain lockdown lower price with a Kickstarter. And then uh, the next day, it rises up to the normal price for everyone else when we launch to the world. And and just as a reminder, what I do, Brad, with Kickstarters now is instead of a 30-day period, I launch with a 31-day period. But the first day is secret, and I only tell my patrons yeah. about it. And then the next day, oh, I go big on the marketing and you know, like marching band going down the street. Uh, but the first yeah. day is super quiet. And hey, if you're a patron, you can get this tier for five dollars less or ten dollars less. And uh, right. so it's a version of that. And so uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm a big supporter of this idea, and I think any way that you can give patrons a sense of of being valued and loved and appreciated, and also, uh, by the way, they're also buying in bigger. Not only are they a patron, they're they're getting other things uh, at a uh, they're buying more things from me. So I think it's it's a it's a Absolutely. nice, lovely, virtuous circle of support. And uh, so I think this is a good one, Brad. What do you think? I love it. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. All right, Dave, so we've got another $5 Patreon patron question, and uh, and this is a good one. I think, uh, I think this leads to a lot of interesting parts of cartooning. Uh, this one comes from our friend Doug, who does Band of One, and he says, 
As a cartoonist, my biggest weakness is backgrounds and set design. In fact, I'm considering limiting the setting of my next story to fewer locations so I can really work out that little world. Do you have any tips or resources that might help? Thanks. Dave, what would you tell Doug to do? Well, this is a great question. Thanks, Doug. Uh, so I um, I should lead with the fact that I tend to do, as a cartoonist, what could only be described in theater terms as black box basic proscenium arch presentation. And for those of you that aren't familiar with... <laughs> is that what you'd call it? That's <laughs> well, a lot of words for what you do. That's a lot of fancy words to say a guy that doesn't like to draw backgrounds, Brad. That's a lot of big, fancy dancing around for a lazy cartoonist. That's what that is. Uh, no. So uh, what, what I mean by black box, or you can think of it as traditionally how Shakespeare would have done it back in, the, back in the days of the globe, is that you painted the scene with your words and you didn't have a lot of props and you didn't have a lot of uh, scenery, right? So that's how mm-hmm. the globe would have done it originally. That's how a lot of black box theater in uh, in the U.S. and in Europe does. Black box basically means a theater painted all black, very minimal sets, and you're painting the scenes with the characters and their words. You're not you're not um, relying on a set to do any heavy lifting, right? So mm-hmm. I this is my caveat by saying I tend to do that, but on the occasions where I have needed to do a scene or a background or um, moments on a strip where a scene is actually critical, like if if the characters in, in Drive, my science fiction strip, land on a new planet and you need to show what the background is to get that sense of the mood and the tone of the room or the place that they're in. Um, mm-hmm. Here are some bits of advice that I would do, which is uh, like text, think of background as a character or I guess a different way to say it is when you're placing your text, in my case, text first and then characters, and then you want your background to fill in and flow in whatever negative space can work without it being overwhelming of the characters, but that complements the weight and the and the heaviness of the characters in that scene. So if you have a heavily left-weighted uh, scene where there's two characters talking, but you want to show that they're talking outside of a front house, you can put a single pole mailbox on the right side, and that's yeah. all you need with a little bit of grass, a little bit of shrubbery, a little bit of fence to let you know. But it also weighs uh, the panel down so that you it's more of at balance. There's a visual balance in the panel. You're not mm-hmm. so heavily weighted on the left-hand side with the characters. And that's what I mean by letting the background become an equal weight to the characters in those moments. Um, now, as far as repeating uh, backgrounds or having them uh, be consistent, one thing that I might suggest is an app called Google SketchUp. Uh, Brad, are you familiar with this one? I am. You just you just stole where I was going to go next. Yeah, oh, this is good. Good. Then good. I will. You know what? I'll let you go with it. You describe what Google SketchUp is and how you use it. No, well, uh, Google SketchUp is a three D uh, uh, sketching uh, program. In other words, you can you can make things in three D and position them in all dimensions and and build out all kinds of really neat furniture and and background type uh, uh, structures. And you can also like download things that have been made already. Just make and, sure and that. And Brad, how you, much does it cost to use Google Google, uh, SketchUp? Google SketchUp? As far as I well, you know what? It, the last I checked, it was free. But like when I checked in on it recently, I think they've changed it. And I think they're kind of trying to go a a subscription route. I was being cute. I didn't know they had actually done that. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I've been I've been keeping my old, old, old version of SketchUp. But uh, yeah, I think they're kind of going a a subscription route if, if I understand what I'm seeing. And there are others, by the way. There's a there's a whole bunch of other similar things, and it would. It, I've been kind of uh, thinking about subscribing to one of them uh, just to get access to some of the license free uh, stuff that might be there. But what what happens? Like when I did Evil Inc. When I relaunched Evil Inc. in 2016, I had a very similar concern as Doug did. I'm like, you know, the problem is, is I draw these people at their desks and one day Miss Match is sitting at a desk next to, next to Desi. The next day she's got an office. Uh, the next day she's sitting at a desk next to Lightning Lady. And all these people just keep kind of, you know, hopping around wherever I, they seem to fit for the, for the uh, composition that day. So I went into SketchUp and I made a mock-up uh, in three dimensions of the entire uh floor plan for where these people work, where everybody's desks are, the people who have offices, what those offices look like on the inside, not super detailed, like not down to the uh, photos on the walls, uh, but just details that I would need 
and and stuff like vending machines in the lunchroom, uh, simple kitchen counters, uh, and that's it. And now when I need a certain scene, I'll pull that up, get it down to the angle that I need, take a couple screenshots, use that for reference, and I've got uh, the basis for my drawing. And I also have notes where everybody sits so they don't keep playing musical chairs on me, <laughs> which actually made the storytelling a little bit better because then I had to think through some of that and, and make it a little bit more realistic. It, it made me treat these characters more real, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I would only add to what Dave has already very uh, uh, brightly uh, pointed out. Uh, when I do do a background, and when I do draw a background, I draw the entire background, even the part, parts that um, are being covered up by foreground characters, because I am always, if I'm going to sit there and draw that, I want to reuse it as often as possible, or as often as it fits. I'll try not to make a scene fit a background. I want that background to to fit the scene, Right. But I always draw more than I need, the places that are overlapped by the background, and a little extra on the left, a little extra on the right, (laughs) a little extra at the top, a little extra at the bottom. I build that out and then keep that in Clip Studio Paint. Uh, You can uh, keep things in a library. And I've got a special library full of backgrounds, especially uh, office backgrounds, things that come up time after time. And then over the years, it's become, I've got a bunch of backgrounds that I know is Lightning Lady's uh, apartment because there was a scene right. that was from inside there. So right. now if if I go back to her apartment, I just pull those back out and I'll save the reference. You can save an entire folder full of stuff in the library. So it's not only the layer, but it's you can put image layers in there too. So I'll put all that stuff into the library, pull that out. And I start right from where I was the last time I was drawing her in her apartment. And uh, I can keep things a little bit uh, organized and consistent throughout doing that. Uh, That's so, brilliant. So keeping a good library, keeping a good morgue, uh, and and always if you use photo reference or if you use 3D reference, uh, either or, just get, take a couple seconds, make sure you that you're not uh, stumbling across any licensing issues or things like that. You want to make sure that you're you're uh, kind of staying above board, but uh, I think that's kind of the best way to approach it. Well, okay, so I have a lot of thoughts jumping off of this. Um, the yeah. first one, uh, just to follow up, uh, I looked it up while we were talking, and uh, SketchUp is available in three different versions. There is a web-based application called SketchUp Free. That one's obviously free. Mm-hmm. There's a free way, freeware version that you can install uh, called SketchUp Make, and then there's a paid version with a lot of additional functionality called SketchUp Pro. So just to clarify oh, for that for everybody. Very good. And then my other thought on what Brad is trying to achieve, and here's the thing. For me as a reader of Brad's work, I will be honest that the placement of a desk or a doorway or a, the water, uh, you know, the water... Uh, um, cooler. Uh, cool, good God, what a stroke <laughs> moment. The placement of a water cooler, I'm never going to, I'm frankly never going to notice it or call out or have it ruin um, my my sense of reality in the strip. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I will say that first of all, uh, no one in your readership is probably ever going to notice. But there is a sense though that to to maintain the verisimilitude as an artist, the truth of it, the the weight and the reality of the moment that you're trying to create, there mm-hmm. is a value in having a repeatable um, consistent referenced room that to you is true and is real and is right. And that if you're changing it around, you're like, well, what is, why is anything in this strip true? Why is anything in this comic true? If I can move this desk anywhere I want it to be. So there, even, even if the sense that no reader ever notices it, I get, I see why someone like Brad would want to have that consistently produced backgrounds. I I think that's great. Yeah. And and like I said, you're, you're absolutely right. Using the word verisimilitude. It's it's it forces me when I set up that scene to think about these people as as real characters. And that's that's a different mindset than I'll just make this up as I go along. Right, 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 right. Um, And so then the third thing that I was going to say is so Brad has very um, uh, capably laid out how you could do this digitally with a with a digital morgue. And for those of you not familiar, a morgue is an old photograph term that basically means reference files of things. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it would be actual art that Brad could almost drag and drop and copy paste right in the background and move around as needed. Right. But separate from a digital way of doing it, I could also see a way that for people that those of us that work pen and ink, 
you could have on either uh, transparencies, uh, having drawn it digitally, you could print it out on a transparency for for lightboxing, or have it just printed out on a piece of paper and lightbox it out of your cartoon, various backgrounds uh, yep. ready to go. Um, so there's ways to do this for a couple different things. Uh, one of it is basically, as Brad was saying, when you do spend the time to to really nail down a background save it save it somehow get put it on a separate layer put it in a separate morgue file have it on a on a a, a piece of paper that can be separately produced uh for uh light boxing but the idea is save it don't have to redraw it again or at least have it as a really solid reference so that when you redraw it it's right on the mark you know yeah well and and if you're somebody like doug here and you're starting this new project and you want to start off on the right foot a great habit to get into is to draw a whole bunch of backgrounds, almost in the approaching this as if you were an animator. And you know, animation backgrounds can be very expansive, and that might it might be very much like a panoramic shot of of a whole village or a whole building or or, or a whole interior, and you just slide that that background back and forth or up and down depending on your needs. And uh, that can save you an awful lot of time. You might spend like a weekend just doing backgrounds that you think you're going to need for this thing, but it's going to save you oodles of time later on down the line when you're just dropping that background in and positioning where it needs to be. Yeah, like Brad, I was going to suggest taking a Saturday or a weekend and just there's because there is a value, in, as you know, from design and cartooning in general. Anytime yeah. you draw things side by side, you can go, this is the exterior scene. This is the interior scene. Right. These are the uh, aesthetic differences that will let you know that now you're in the exterior. This is, you know what I mean? And so uh, you can you can draw them with greater contrast when you draw them all together on the same weekend. But I also want to say that uh, and I don't think Doug will have this problem. But for other people, sometimes you can get so into world building that you forget to make comics. <laughs> That's true. And so I just want to warn people that because there are people that love to make the maps and love to make yeah. the backgrounds and love to make the story Bibles and then forget to make the comics that all those things are supposed to be created with, you know. Um, so just be just make sure you're maintaining a healthy balance of create the, the three key scenes backgrounds that you need. But don't don't spend, you know, a whole month creating the 30 backgrounds and then get so tired of that world that you don't actually create comics for it. You know, <laughs> boy, you know what? If you're somebody that loves to make the backgrounds, if, if you're that person, do you realize how uh, what a great little cottage industry that would be is if you approach different people and say, I, I, I'm going to give you a package of 10 backgrounds that you can use and and to draw them, a, you know, to take a little note of what their style is and to get a, get it close to that person's style so that they can put it in seamlessly. Do you know what I would pay for so a, a, a pack of well-done backgrounds? Honest to goodness, I'd love something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I've often thought about how what a service um, uh, either Jake Parker or Jeff Zugal could do in just saying, look, I'm really good at spaceships. I'm just telling yeah. you, I'm really good at spaceships. If you need spaceships designed for your comic, give me a call. Uh, like just there's cottage industries of people that are really good at, at very specific things. And wouldn't that yeah. be interesting if comics were... Actually, I think Jeff Zugal does that. He might even do it through Patreon if you're, well, if you're interested he, well, in Well, I, I know he does that because I hired him to design the VIN chips for Drive. So I, I, <gasps> oh, did that, you really? This is where that idea comes from. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He's so good at spaceships. So, so good at spaceships. And I was like, you know what? I really want... I mean, I'm okay. I've drawn uh, enough spaceships in Drive that I can make them unique. But I was like, no, you know, I want to hire Jeff to make a really bitchin'-looking spaceship. And sure enough, it was really bitchin'-looking. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's that. So Doug, good luck with that. Um, I think that's a I think that's a smart place to leave that. Brad, what do you think? I think that's great. And we've got another question from our five dollar Patreon backers. You want to take uh, the lead on it? I sure will. This one comes from uh, Stephen Barry, and this one goes, Brad and Dave. When do you know if you've got an idea for a long form story or a short form strip? <laughs> I love these. This is a philosophical question. It's not a it's not a practical question. It's a philosophical question. Oh, what and do you mean? Okay, this is not how I thought you were going to take this. Keep going. No, the answer is when you're done. Because what? wait a minute, hold on. Yes, all right, yes. Zen Master, slow it down no, over there. You're you know it's an idea when it's done because again, ideas are worthless. Our ideas don't matter. Ideas uh, have all have the same worth. There's no such thing as a good idea or a bad idea. They all have zero value. The uh, art, the, the what makes a comic special is the work that you put into it, the execution of the idea. So I know that I've got an idea 
when I've started working on it and it goes to a place that is satisfying on a story level in one way or another. For long form, that might be, I've got, uh, I, I, in fact, this happened just this weekend. I, after spinning my wheels for the longest time, I finally came up with, oh yeah, I know what I'm going to do in the next segment of this story. Uh, and I, I had lots of ideas for what I wanted to do, but none of them uh, played the role. None of them did the function that I wanted to until I had put the work in. And then I could see oh yeah, all of this fits. Conversely, if you're writing humor, that's, that's a little bit tougher because you've, you've got to trust that it's funny because it's impossible to know something is funny. You have to build up that instinct over a long period of time of trial and error of, of finding your voice and finding something funny. But after a little while, you, you kind of like, okay, I, this, this has that quality, but you don't know until you're done working on it. Wow. you you took a very different route to this than I thought you were going to take. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying, I did not expect you to take this route on this question. This is interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to take a very different, uh, jump at this question because I'm going to read it again. So it says, okay. when, when do you know if you've got an idea for a long form story or for a short form strip? Um, so first point of order, Brad and I, just as a point of clarification, I think both Brad and I would argue that, um, with the death of newspaper syndication, I think we can all agree that long form stories are not best squeezed into a short form strip format anymore. Right. So just as a point of clarification, you can, you can do it, but it's not, it's, it's not the best format. Yeah, you, you can do it, but why would anyone do it that way anymore? It was only a requirement of newspaper space. So why do it that way? Right. 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 So anyway, what I'm getting at is if you're going to, if, if you get an idea and you're not sure if it's long form or story form, I think, or, or short form, if it's short form, it's gag a day, it's more uh, character based. Uh, more experiential. If it's long form, it's story based. It's arc. It's characters arcing. It's they're changing. They're growing. So here's what I'm getting at: is if if at the end of this story that you have in your mind, this idea, if the characters are still fundamentally the same as they were when they started, then what you're looking at is sitcom realities, and so that's better for short form. Mm -hmm. um, long form characters have an arc. They grow. They change. They experience things. They they, the world impacts them and they impact the world. Um, now that's not, both of those are generalities that it's not always the case, but I think in general, if you have an idea and you're not sure which way to go, um, first ask yourself, how long will the story take me to tell? Second, what's the best format for that, that idea to fit in? And then third, do my characters fundamentally come back to where they started? Which is okay. Some, some stories do have that. But even like Frodo coming back to, I keep going to back to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> even Frodo coming back to the Shire, that yeah. ain't the same Frodo that left. You know, he had an right. arc. He grew, he changed, and he, he was uh, tired and sad when he came back. He wasn't the same Frodo. Um, but if he came back and he's like, oh boy, right back into it, then in a way, uh, it's, it's sitcom logic, you know? Here so, we go again. Here we go. I'm ready to go on my next adventure, Gandalf. Here we go. This know, is where I came in. I don't know why Frodo sounds like Mr. Bill to us. Oh boy. Uh, anyway. Well, so, so in other words, I'm intrigued by this. What you're saying is you read that question as thus. I've got an idea. I don't know whether it's a long form idea or a short form idea. Right. And, and that's what you're, so I'm going to, I'm going to advance another concept and I want to get your read on this. And, it, and it's kind of related to what you said. Here's how you know, is it standalone? If it's not standalone, if it, if it requires, I read yesterday's uh, update and, and requires that I follow it along, oh, then it's probably yes. better a long form. Right. I, if I've got yep. to, if I've got to read from chapter one, page one to really understand it, then it's it's long form and and probably better done in like bigger chunks, like more than four panel strip type. Of right. Deal, right. If it's if it's understandable in standalone form that I can come in and I can read today's update and I don't really need yesterday's or chapter one, page one then it's much better presented as a short form. And then you yep. can use that comic strip format because that's exactly what people are going to expect when they come to your site. 
You know what, Brad? You said that better because what I was getting at in trying to tie it into sitcom logic, you said better with the fact that the reason why sitcom logic works for uh, comic strips is that you do need to be able to jump in as a totally new reader, 300 strips in, and get enough of a sense of a character from the strip itself where you get the joke or you get the the, the arc, right of, that, right, of that specific strip. And that's what I was getting at, is that there's a baseline that even a new person can jump into. Uh, and so you said that, Bredder. So Brad is this week's winner. Uh, I'm really excited, everybody. Yes! Brad is this week's winner of Who Had the Better Answer? Yes. It took us 40 minutes into the show to get to it, but Brad is the winner of Better Answer for Comic Lab. This is kind of like, uh, 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 oh gosh, that Groucho Marx uh, game show uh, where the duck fell down. He said the secret word, and and uh, and now you, uh, you get to stab the duck fall down on you. Wow. Brad just made a reference that no one knows what the hell he's talking about. Brad just won the Who Remembers a 1930s game show that no one can recall. All righty. <laughs> but you know what, Dave? I want to take a real quick tangent uh, because I'd like to just really quick point this out uh, because I noticed somebody kind of misunderstood this conversation and I, I want to take five seconds. Somebody on Twitter said, oh, Brad and Dave said that you can't do a four-panel uh, comic on the web, and they need to talk to Shannon Garrity or Howard Taylor, and they'll school them. Uh, just hold, hold your role a little bit. We're very familiar with those people. We all we've been doing comics with them. Uh, we all started about the same time. I think Howard and I started very close to the to the same month. Even I mean, we we go back. We're not the point of that episode was not to say you can't do a comic strip on the web and you can't you couldn't do a storyline strip. But by pointing to Howard and and, and Shannon, uh, the problem there is you're making my point for me because those folks made their audiences when the Internet was very, very different in the what I call the pre-social media uh, Internet. Right. What I am saying is if you were to launch a comic like that today, you'd have an uphill climb, number one. And number two, why would you? Because due to the Internet climate that we have now, you could upload, you could update in bigger chunks. You're not beholden to a daily schedule. You're not trying to get ad revenue with a daily update schedule. You can do bigger chunks. Why would you try to do story advancement in four panels, why wouldn't you instead take bigger chunks and really give your readers something to uh, uh, sink their teeth in? Because we don't have all those uh, shackles that we had in publishing 20 years ago. So I wanted to take, I, I think there might have been some misunderstanding there. I'm not saying that their work isn't good or that you couldn't do that or that you can't do that. I'm saying that if you do that today, you've got an uphill climb. And by the way, why would you want to in the first place? So this, I know you did not anticipate this, and I did not anticipate talking about this, but this actually raises a question or a whole topic of conversation that we can dive into for a minute here, which is in the social media age, Brad, you and I cut our teeth uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s internet. Yeah. And uh, the cartoonists that are finding big success now on Instagram or Imgur or uh, or Reddit or however you want to pronounce it, Imgur, however that mispronunciation <laughs> is that you choose. Um, I'm kidding because there's nine different ways to pronounce yeah, that. But Imgur. okay, so the, the cartoonists that what I'm getting at, though, is the cartoonists that are making a big splash now on on um, on social media platforms. They're producing a very different comic strip in terms of characters. Yes. than any of us that came out of a more newspaper tradition. Yes. Brad, thoughts and comments? Oh, yes, and thank goodness. I love seeing it. <laughs> Do you? I okay, think it's, all right. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. It's, it's, it, well, it, I like things that are different, right? And so I look at that, and it's like, oh, I, I, it's not the way I approach comics, and therefore it's kind of fascinating to see how, they, number one, how they draw the scene, how they set up the scene, uh, the humor devices they use. Sometimes it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's almost imperceivable to me. I, I don't see what makes that funny. 
<laughs> right? And and it's like they're using a different, like a, a very different uh, post-postmodern humor construct. And it's it's fascinating to me. I try to understand it, even, even if it isn't something that I, it isn't to my personal taste. I, 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 I'm I, uh, wowed by it. Yeah. Well, what I was getting at, though, was um, if you are working on Instagram or on Imgur or on Reddit now, mm -hmm. and you were creating Bloom County, you would not have that cast. You would just have Opus every day by oh. himself doing a lot of self-referential things like, I, it's a lot of I's and U's, not yep. a lot of we comments. And mm -hmm. comic strips in newspaper format, because they were locked in and everybody came back to the same thing every day, you had a cast, right? You had a whole yeah. crew and you had stories and interactions. What I'm getting at, though, is the modern comic strip on Reddit, on Instagram, on Imgur, on those kind of things, because they're social media based, because you might not see that same cartoonist again for a couple of weeks in your social media feed. Mm -hmm. The successful ones have all created a comic strip where not only are they standalone, but more often than not, it's one character that you recognize or maybe two, maybe three, but they're all kind of making baseline comments without going deep on character. And I find that fascinating that that's the new kind of comic strip that's taking off. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I mean, uh, uh, so much of it, even the art is starting to kind of gel. There's a whole swath of cartoonists that draw very, very, very similar. It's like a developed stick figure look. Right. And, and almost uh, like the, the, what I worry about there is that it's impossible to tell one from another. Like, how do you stand out when your art looks so homogenous to everyone else's? But then at the same time, there's a power in that because that's such a, a popular look right now that you gain instant access, instant acceptance just for working in that style. Right. You know, uh, it's it, it really is kind of fun to watch. But but here's my my counter proposition to this, though, is that. Yeah. So I see. Of these cartoonists, and I'm going to focus on Instagram for a second, okay. that are getting 300,000, 400,000, 1 million followers, and they have one or two characters. But what's interesting is when you remove character-based relationships from a comic strip, you remove the cement that sometimes keeps you locked into a comic strip. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. What I mean by that is the relationship is... is on some levels, it becomes more shallow because it's more about, this is the joke, but um bump boom uh, And that's fine, um, but it becomes more uh, more Ziggy-like in your relationship, where it's just you and Ziggy. It's not you watching Ziggy relate to 10 other people, a right. la Bloom County or Calvin and Hobbes or, or uh, Peanuts. It's just you and Ziggy facing the world, and Ziggy's going to tell... You know what I mean? It becomes yeah. more of a, a, a biographical, autobiographical relationship with a comic strip. Well, and that's interesting because what we see time and time again, especially on Instagram, is people with monster followings that maybe can't translate that into Patreon success. Or yes. some of them. That's exactly what I was leading towards. Yeah. 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 And and whether that's a cause and effect situation, uh it's 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 something I really want to take some time to think about, but it's a it's a really interesting thought. Because it might very well be. Now now the counter to that is um Sometimes when it's an autobiographical strip, specifically like a, like a Sarah Scribbles, um, because it's so powerfully uh, um, relationary to someone's self-image, mm -hmm. um, it becomes really cemented and people support it uh, to the nines, you know? So yeah. it's just something that I'm actively thinking about is we, we are actively experiencing um, a change in comic strip formats with casts. Um, that you don't tend to have what you had in the 80s and 90s, which was a cast of five to 10 characters in a comic strip. We're tending to have comic strips now succeeding on social media that have a cast of three, two, or even more likely one yep. uh, repeating character. And that's of interest to me. I haven't quite cemented my thoughts yet, but I find it interesting to see this happening. Yeah. That, well, that's 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 really good to put on uh, our readers or our listeners' radar because I I think everybody's going to start noticing that now. You well, know? yeah, and and as you think about it, I would love to hear if you're a patron of the show. I would love to hear your thoughts over on the Discord server or on the yeah. comments under on Patreon. Uh, whether and I'm not necessarily putting a judgment on it. I, I realize no. that sometimes I can sound old manish. Um, about, you know, get off my lawn. Things are changing. I'm I'm just more interested that I'm noticing that this is the difference in comic strips. 
I'm not sure what that means for comic strips or how we monetize them, but I mm-hmm. just noticed that we're having fewer characters, tends to be more autobiographical in messaging, um, and tends to be more like, hey, are you like me? Do you find that pot lids are hard to hold or, you know, whatever it is? Whereas before it was like, hey, uh, Opus, get off the toilet. We've got to go write about Richard right. Nixon or something. You know, that yeah. was the uh, that was a previous comic strip iteration. Now it's more, um, oh, boy, I'm having trouble in my day kind of a comic strip. You know, that is, is the right word homogenous? Because it feels to me like it's it, it all of those start to become one comic and it starts to kind of blend together no i don't know that it's homogenous because i don't i don't want to get judgmental about it i'm just saying no i don't mean it judgmentally i'm just saying that there's there's it 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 blurs it well does it blur though because we're old men and we're used to seeing a a certain kind of comic strip or Uh, does it blur because a lot of people are using stick art that's fair that's fair I, I honestly don't know. Um, but but I also know that, that there are moods and tones in art that change with time. You know, like, you never see epistolary novels written anymore. But boy, if you were in the Victorian age, oh, shit, they were flying heavy with the epistolary <laughs> novels. People love their epistolary novels back then. Or a country house novel. Oh, boy, we're going to talk about people smooching in a country house. But, <laughs> you know, no one wants to read that anymore. Uh, what I'm getting at, though, is that maybe we're just in a changing mood for comic strips. And what people want from comic strips right now is they want quick they want it to be very uh directed towards uh the reader's uh autobiographical moment in life and they don't want to have to learn a lot about characters because that's not the way social media allows for a building relationship with a comic strip now you know yes yes i think that's a great point and a great place to leave that because david we're just about at the end of the show but we've had one backer that has submitted the same question two months in a row uh, and so I, I, I have a feeling that it's a burning issue in this person's life. And I, th- I also think it's going to take us very, very short like, uh, amount of time. You're like, here's the question. This question comes in from Dave Kellett. He keeps emailing. <laughs> what is this growth on my shoulder? <laughs> I keep telling him, go see a doctor, David. This is not appropriate to Comic Lab. <laughs> this has come in twice now. Does this mole look angry? I, I uh <laughs> Brad, I'm colorblind. Is this thing changing colors? <laughs> well, you keep touching it. It keeps changing colors. Stop touching it. <laughs> All right. So uh, so here, it, and this is coming in from our good friend, Name Withheld by Request. And it, it, it there's a little backstory here, so I'm going to try and get through this. About 10 years ago, before the social media fire hose and when web surfing was still the primary way people found and consumed content, I bought a domain for a project I wanted to do and several misspelled variations of the domain, which, by the way, I think is a really neat idea. My concern was squatters who would find popular sites and then buy common typos of the URL so they could pull all sorts of mischief on unwary readers. Fast forward to the present. URLs are still important, but few people actually type them out. As you've noticed, if it isn't directly clickable or at least custom and pasteable, the audience won't follow it. I never actually did that project that I got those URLs for, but I'm keeping the domain because it's cheap and I might turn around and make it happen. The problem All of those typo domains. As it sits right now, I think I should just let them go because I have enough of them that keeping them won't be cheap. And the reason I got them isn't as important anymore. Or maybe they're worth keeping. No one expected the current internet 10 years ago, and who knows if these typos will become important later. My question, would Brad and Dave please give their opinions and discuss the merits of tossing versus keeping the typo domains. Okay, so without sounding harsh about this, I want to point out one key line of this entire multi-sentence question. Yeah. I never ended up doing the project. (laughs) I zeroed right in on that one, too. Uh, my immediate reaction was to that one sentence, which I wanted to flip a table when I got to that point. I was like, what are we talking about? Um, well, uh, he still so, might do it or, yeah, or no, she I might. I'm not so, going to reveal, but they might so still he or do she, it. He or she has held on to these URLs. I get yeah. it. But I want to say as a friend, there's a little bit of a sunk cost fallacy here in that yeah. you've probably paid for these four, five, ten URLs for five, ten years, maybe. Who knows? And you're yeah. like, well, damn it. I've spent these many hundreds of dollars now on all these. Uh, on all these URLs, 
I can't just drop them. And the thing is, with sunk cost fallacy, that's where it gets you. You absolutely yeah. can drop them, and I think you should drop them. Just keep the one, and if you want to feel good about it, keep the one most common typo that yeah. every finger is going to make, uh, but get rid of the other ones if you want. And, and frankly, don't even keep that one. Just just keep the URL of the project that you may still do, but still haven't done, and leave it at that. Brad, what are your thoughts? <laughs> My thoughts are very easily summed up as this. Don't hold on to a mistake just because it took you a long time to make it, right? Sometimes, sometimes we just hold on to things that, are, that we know aren't very good just because we put so much damn time into them. That's exactly how Brad summarizes his friendship with me, frankly. Yes. It's like, God, he's been around for this long. I might as well just keep him around. He's like, I have answered so many of Dave's damn phone calls. I might as well just keep him as a friend. God. He keeps emailing me photos of a mole. What is going on? <laughs> if he don't, doesn't stop touching it, it's going to make me queasy. I um, love that we've made this image that I've actually done this. By the way, I have not actually done this. I just want to clarify. No, it wasn't with a mole at least but you know <laughs> don't make it worse no, no listen skin tags are perfectly natural but you know um <laughs> um no i get rid of those i don't don't hold on to them just because you own oh, by the way here's another thing do you ever notice sometimes people know what the answer is and they tell you they know what the answer is and they just want you to tell them that that's what the answer is He's already yeah. said, he's already said, and I'm not going to reread it, but that whole thing, it pretty much says exactly the right thing. It's like people don't use uh, uh, domains like that anymore. It's not as important as it used to be. You know what the answer is. Get rid of them. And like Dave said, if it makes you feel better, keep the one or two most common typos just to make you feel better. You're going to get rid of those in another three, two or three years anyway. Uh, but if it, if, it, if it helps you... Uh, stop putting all this money into typo domains, which probably makes you feel like a schmuck every time you got to renew that thing, uh, then then do it. Give yourself leave to do that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a beautiful button to put on that one, Brad. Yes. Um, and, and listen, uh, there URLs will probably forever be the underpinning of the Internet, no matter what sort of mask or overlay we collectively put on it with social media or whatever the next iteration is. So I do think that there is still value in it. I do think that it's, uh, it will always be of use. I just think get rid of the other ones. Absolutely. You know, you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my dear friend, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And the lovable Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions at www.woodsong.media. Comic Lab is made possible by your support at Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. Did I, oh, Davey, did I put you asleep, sweetie?